0: listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com.
1: Our scripture reading today is from Colossians chapter 1. If you would stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word, the letter of Paul to the Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, out of the English Standard Version. We always thank God, the Father of your Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the days you heard it and understood the grace of of God in truth. The forgiveness of sins this is the word of the lord please be seated
0: thanks bob well hey good morning everybody i am pastor joey i'm excited to dig into colossians with you this morning before we go there though um i wanted to make a confession uh i think it's finally time 2023 to admit that i drive my wife nuts in a variety of ways. Um, probably the most annoying is how I just I can't stop learning. I know, that sounds like a real nerdy thing to say. Uh, but I love it, reading, learning new things, but especially like trying new things, doing new things. We're, uh, she walked in the living room the other day, and I was watching this like behind the scenes of Tom Cruise's big stunt from the latest movie, whatever, and she looks at it and looks at me and says, please don't get into skydiving. And I'm like, I wasn't thinking that when I was thinking that. <laughs> but I love trying the new things, like getting your hands into something new. The, the kind of hobbies where you have to buy stuff to do it are the best kind of hobbies. Because you get new stuff, you get new things, you get new toys to to play with. This, she doesn't look very happy right now, this has led to uh, one of our biggest disagreements and arguments in our marriage, which was when I was getting into this new hobby that required quite a bit of heavy uh, equipment that I had ordered and forgotten to tell her. And uh, so anyway, it came and it was delivered and it was all put right in front of the front door by the the post guy. Um, And so she got home from work and literally couldn't get into the house because of one of my hobbies. And I didn't see anything wrong with that. Actually, if I'm being honest, I found it pretty annoying that Jenna was annoyed uh, with my hobby of getting new hobbies, because I had kind of started living into this this idea of what it it meant to be me, or kind of into this story of who I was, that was very self-centered. You may be familiar with this kind of approach to living your own life, like, well, I'm responsible to make sure that I'm happy and to do whatever feels fulfilling to me and the other people around me in my life are responsible to let me do that. I was kind of living into this self-centered story about what it meant for me to, you know, flourish or be satisfied or to be fulfilled. And no surprise to anyone Doing selfish things turns you into a selfish person when you're living a self-centered story. Makes sense, right? Yeah, I I had eventually realized, or had to come to the point to to realize, you know, my wife is not annoyed with me for no reason at all. When you're living a self-centered story and the people around you feel like they're pushed to the outside of that, it's, you know, annoyance is kind of the least response that they can give. Uh, she was annoyed at me because the actual story that I'm part of is of a follower of Jesus, a husband, a father, somebody living embedded in a family and in a community. I'm an employee, a pastor, a a member of a church community. But I was living, at least in this area, like it was all about and only about me. Now, what does all that have to do with church? Church. Well, we've been, over the last couple of months, walking through the book of Matthew, actually since Advent of last year, of 2021, and we're going to go back to Matthew. But we're taking a week or two off. We did something different last week, and this week we're taking a week off to kind of think about this question, why are we here? It's a good question to ask at the beginning of a year, as you're sort of evaluating what you spend your time doing, and where you're investing your energy and your resources and all of that stuff. Uh, Why are we here is a great question to ask because it forces us to reckon with what story we think we're living in You know if we're here we're at church or faith church exists because we're trying to help a whole bunch of kind of autonomous individuals maximize their own happiness and sense of spirituality or connection with God well That's a reason to exist, but maybe it's not the best reason. Stopping and asking a question like, why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? Forces us to confront the kind of story that we're living into. And so we're looking at Colossians and the introduction to the book of Colossians, Paul's praise for the church and his prayer for the church, because in the beginning of this letter, just like in all of Paul's letters to uh, churches, he starts by telling them what he sees in them that is praiseworthy, that he wants to encourage that he wants to continue to develop, you know, like positive reinforcement when your kid with your kids. When you see them doing something good and you, you praise it so that they keep doing it, he starts by telling them, here's, here's who I see you becoming. And then he goes into some verses about, here's what I pray that you will do because that will fuel who you're becoming. But he wraps all of this, who they're becoming and what they're doing. Whoa, excuse me. He wraps all of it up in this question of, well, what story are you living in? What kind of a story do you think you're part of? Because that determines what you do and who you become. So we'll jump into Colossians 1. If you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn there with me. Looking at 3 through 14, we don't have a a ton of time to dig into every nuance of all of these verses, so we're going to move fairly quickly, but we're going to start with the first six verses of what Paul praises in the church at Colossae, and then in the second six verses, what Paul prays for the church at Colossae before, kind of thinking about how that might apply or work itself out here with with us. So let's jump in. Uh, you may have noticed when Bob read the verses a few minutes ago, there's a pretty natural break between the first six and the second six verses because Paul starts by acknowledging what he sees before shifting to praying for what he hopes will develop. It's starting by acknowledging what he sees. This is the, the part where he's, he's praising behavior. He's praising the kind of people he sees them becoming because it's in line with the kind of people that God is calling them to become. So we'll pick it up here in verse 3. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since, or because, we heard of, here's three things, your faith in Christ Jesus. We heard of the love that you have for all the saints. And we heard of this because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You, you may have noticed right away kind of the classic Christian triad of faith, hope, hope and love faith in christ love for all the saints hope laid up in heaven Uh, except here uh, in paul's intro to the colossians He uses them kind of unique ways that he doesn't in the other introductions or in his other writings You know often he will praise churches for the faith that he sees the love that he sees the hope that he sees But here he does it just a little bit differently instead of for instance faith I mean he praises them for their faith, but instead of just saying faith as Uh, You know knowledge of who Jesus is what he said who he said he is and what he has done He praises them for faith. That is more like it's growing in Jesus like Jesus is the the greenhouse or the environment Within which faith is growing It's a faith. That's anchored in a, a person more than built on a set of propositions or statements of fact. Not that those statements of fact aren't relevant and absolutely important, but it's a personal relationship, an intimate relationship with Jesus that's growing in him. He also praises them for the love that they show, but he specifically says love for all the saints. Sometimes we forget exactly how multicultural, multiethnic, multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic these churches were that Paul's writing to. Small gatherings and yet bringing people from such a wide variety of different backgrounds that you would not find all of these same people in the same room in any other context. He's praising them for a love that is going over boundaries that are normally inviolable. Ethnic boundaries, religious boundaries, socioeconomic boundaries. It's a love that a few verses later in in verse 8, he says, this is a love that can only come from and only be found in the Spirit, the Spirit of God himself. It's the kind of love that looks like God's love, that looks like Jesus's self-sacrificial love on the cross. He says, you know, I'm not praising you because I see in you the kind of normal, natural, familial affection that you see in any group of like-minded or similar people. This is a love that's beyond family or beyond ethnicity or beyond geographic proximity. It is a love for all the saints. And evidence of God's grace is that this loving community has sprung up out of almost nothing among people who would not otherwise be found together so he praises them for their faith he praises them for their love but he also mentions their hope but again in a unique way instead of praising them for the attitude of hopefulness or the the virtue of hope he praises them for a faith and a love that grow out of hope as a thing that they're anticipating in the future you know, he says uh in in verse four it says we heard of your faith in christ jesus your love you have for all the saints because of faith and love because of or another translation says your faith and love has have arisen from the hope laid up for you in heaven it's not hope as an emotion or ability but it's it's hope as a, a in almost a intellectual understanding of because of what God has promised, there is in the future this blessing that is waiting, this hope that is, ble- that is waiting. Paul doesn't say exactly what it is here in this part of the letter, but he goes on to explain as he progresses through the letter, you know, Christ in you is this hope of glory that you're waiting for, the, the riches of the gospel. See, as these believers in Colossae were were confronted with the truth of who God is and what He is doing in the world through Israel's Messiah, when they were confronted with the good news that God is creating all things new and inviting people into a new humanity through faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, as they were confronted with the truth that God has a future inheritance waiting for all those who have been united with Him through Christ, They looked forward at that hope and said, out of that hope is growing faith, response of belief in God and love, a boundary-busting love that brings in others to experience the same hope. He's praising them and saying, look, here's what I see in you as I've heard about you. Now, Paul has actually never been to Colossae. He's never seen this church in action. He's working in Ephesus, which is about a five-day or seven-day walk west of this little town, uh, but there's a guy named Epaphras who is from Colossae that business of some sort brought him to Ephesus. He heard Paul preaching, responded to the gospel, was trained by Paul, and then went back to this region where Colossae is and a couple other towns to, to share the gospel and to, uh, to plant churches and continue to correspondence with Paul to where Paul could write back to them and say, look, I've heard from Epaphras about your faith, about your love, growing out of this hope that you have in the word of truth in the good news the gospel itself i've heard how that it is it's bearing fruit in you it's increasing in you and it has been from day one you've been growing in this See, in these first six verses, and there's so much more we could look at in there, but in these first six verses, we're seeing Paul praising the church, saying, here's what I see in you that is good that you are becoming. This is what you should be aiming at, growing in faith and in hope and in love. This is the type of people that we should be coming together. And what I love in verse six is the, the way he expresses it when he says that I, I've seen this growth among you. He says the gospel's bearing fruit, and it's increasing among you, but he's not saying, look, hey, when I when I survey a room full of Colossian believers, I can see some of you growing. Yeah, a couple people over here, and a couple people in the middle maybe are growing, and a few folks in the back are growing, nobody in the front, but definitely the, the people in the back, like they're, they're, you guys are growing. He's not saying it that way, as if a a, a small select group of individuals are growing in their faith he's saying i see this growing among you as in all y'all all of you you as a whole as a body as a church are growing in faith and in love from this hope You know, we sometimes think of church kind of like it's a a greenhouse in which individual plants are given in concentrated form, the food and the water and the sunlight that they need to grow. Individual plants. Some of us treat church like we're that that individual plant that's looking for the perfect greenhouse that's going to give us the exact right mix of worship food and, and sermon water And and, you know warm sunlight of fellowship so that we can grow in the way that feels best and right for us But paul's language here is more corporate It's less like plants in a greenhouse and more like organs in a body Which is a little gross But he's he's not talking like plants in a greenhouse where you guys over here can all grow and that's great And it doesn't matter at all to you that the people over here aren't growing at all this is more like organs in a body where if one organ is working and another one's not that's a bad thing for the body it's about all of us as a whole growing and working and being knit together growing in this faith this hope this love so when we take a sunday and pause and think about this question why are we here we can't ask this question in just or merely individualistic terms. Are a good enough number of people individually growing at faith, in their faith, their hope, their love? It's not a good way to ask the question. What we have to ask is, are we growing as a body growing together? Not with half of our organs functioning well, and the other half not. I don't know any doctor that looks at a human and says, 60% of you is working great, good enough for me right all of us growing together. So we have to ask ourselves the questions like would would we would we say that we as a corporate body are more faithful, more loving, more sure of our hope than we were this time last year. Are we more faithful, more loving, more sure of the hope God holds out in the future now than we were before COVID? than we were before all of this political stuff of the last six years? Are we a more loving body now than we were before everyone was yelling at each other on Twitter? Are we more faithful now than we were before we found out that the person sitting next to us votes for the other guy? See, what Paul is seeing in this church is a growth in faith, a growth in hope, a growth in love that is evidence of the grace of God working in this body and working in this community. And he says, I, every time I pray for you guys, I can't help but thank God that you are growing in this way. But then in verse 9, he shifts. He shifts his emphasis to say, and this is why I'm continuing to pray for you that some very specific things would happen in your midst. Now, he's not saying those things aren't happening at all. He's saying these are the things I want to see continue to happen because it's growth in these areas that causes you to continue to grow in faith and hope and love. You know, in the same way that doing selfish things makes you a selfish person, he's saying doing these things makes you more of a faithful person, a loving person, a hopeful person. So let's, let's look at verse 9 where we're shifting from what Paul is praising the church for to now what he's praying for the church. Verse 9, And so, meaning in light of everything I just said, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not stopped praying for you. For this one specific thing. In our prayer, we are asking that you, you all, not you individuals, but you all as a church, that you all may be filled with, with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, the knowledge of of God's will. Now, to be filled with this knowledge suggests that the, the knowledge of God's will is supposed to filter down into all of our being. All of a person's thoughts and actions and purposes, their plans, goals, hopes, wishes, dreams, all of it should be be saturated by, filled with, soaked up in the knowledge of God's will. Pastor Tom was listening to us online at 9 o'clock as he's driving back from a vacation. He texted me, this is how I like to eat my cake, soaked in milk and ice cream. Just fill the bowl with milk and put the cake in. That's what we're supposed to do with God's will, just be soaked in it. Which naturally leads leads us to ask the question, well, what is God's will? What kind of will is Paul praying for here? And because, in our context, we we tend to think uh, very individualistically, what is God's will for me? We tend to ask the question more like that. Uh, Yeah, I should be filled with the knowledge of God's will for me. Where does god want me to live where does god want me to work who does god want me to date who does god want me to marry does god want me to have kids does god want me to serve here does he want me to go there and and those are all good questions to ask but they're not the focus of the knowledge that paul is praying for here In this verse, when he's praying that the Colossian believers would grow in their knowledge of the will of God, he's praying that they would grow in their understanding of and their ability to think through. So their understanding of their ability to think through the whole big purpose of God in redeeming the world through Jesus. This is about the will of God in its broadest and widest sense. It's a whole lot more about. It's a whole lot more than just about what God wants you to do individually. It's about a whole lot more than how God wants me to behave you know, as myself. It's about as a church body collectively understanding how you and I, as individuals, and us as a church, fit into the whole big story of what God is doing. In the world There's a a famous Scottish philosopher named Alistair McIntyre and when I say famous, I mean famous among nerds um, Who once famously wrote again famously among nerds um, Wrote if you ask me if you ask me what you should do in this or that situation I shall first ask of you of what story do you think you're a part? He's Scottish, so he could say it backwards in a way that barely makes sense. But essentially what he's saying is, if you ask me, what should I do in any given situation, I'm going to ask you first, I have no idea how to tell you what to do if I don't know what story you think you're living in. If I don't know what story you think you're living and where you think your life is going. How can I possibly tell you what to do? It's like uh, using a GPS device to try to navigate to some specific destination. You can ask your GPS. You can ask Siri like hey, uh, I almost said hey Siri. Well, there I said it. Um, sorry for everybody at home whose devices just started beeping. Uh, you can say hey, am I am I supposed to turn left turn right or go straight? And Siri's gonna say please enter a destination right Because what good is directions if you don't know where you're going and if you don't know where you're going then you it's impossible to give directions It's impossible to know what you should do until you know what story you are part of Our decisions as a church and as a uh, as individuals within a church only make sense If we're living within the whole big context of what god is doing in the world through jesus So if god is calling us, the whole world, really, from Indianapolis on. He's calling the whole world to new life in Him. And He's creating little groups of, of people around the world, little pockets of, of shalom, of New Kingdom living. He calls them churches. He's creating these little pockets of New Kingdom living all over the world that envisage that new life in real and countercultural and transformative and practical ways within the kingdom of darkness where they find themselves if that's the will of god for the church and for us well then when we ask ourselves how do we how do we live out god's will then we just say, well how do we make decisions in light of being part of that movement see if god's if god's working in the world is something different if it's creating or empowering individuals to find or maximize their own personal fulfillment or their own uh, personal actualization in order to do what feels to them to be the best thing for them in the moment, if that's the story, then what you do is very different and much more self-centered and selfish than if the story is God is inviting you to join a people that are transforming the world for His glory and through His grace. See how the stories see how the stories lead you to kind of a different conclusion about how you live your life? If that's what God is doing, and that's what Paul is praying, that we would grow as a church, we would grow in our knowledge of God's will, that we'd be able to think through how God is working in the world and what our part might be in it, well then with that knowledge, instead of asking, you know, what's God's will for me? but instead asking, how can I make decisions that make me part of God's will for us, then with that knowledge, we can can live out what the point of all of this knowledge is. That was a real convoluted way of saying, look at verse 10. Um, He says, so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, all spiritual wisdom, all understanding, so that or so as, or in order to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, in order to live in a way that is congruent with, that lines up with, that is in accord with, that rises to the level of the calling you have in Christ, the story that you're part of. He's saying, I want you to grow in knowing how God is working in the world and what part you play in that story so that you can live into that story, so that you can do the kind of things that make you the kind of person who lives that story. It results in a life that, that Paul says is fully pleasing to him. And then in the rest of the prayer, he describes, he uses four verbs to kind of describe what that kind of life looks like. And briefly, we're going to go through them here quickly. Um, if, if you write in your Bible, you may want to underline these. There's sort of four main descriptors of what a, a life that is pleasing to God looks like. A life that is being walked in a manner worthy of Him. A life that is being lived because of an understanding, a growth in understanding God's will, what He's doing in the whole world. Uh, there in verse 10, it's bearing fruit— Increasing in knowledge. In, in verse 11, being strengthened with power. And in verse 12, giving thanks. Four verbs in a row, each with a little bit of description that describe how we live out this life of faith and hope and love. Very briefly, bearing fruit in every good work means, you know, our growth in faith and love and hope results in kind of habitual good work or or one translation puts it um, active goodness of every kind no matter where we are whatever we are involved in somehow we are bringing a service heart to it where we take what god has given to us and we pour it out and give it out to others we we bring god's grace into situations where people need to experience god's goodness through our hands and through our our words We're also to increase in the knowledge of God. This, too, is habitual. It's a regular enlarging of our practical understanding of God's will and God's grace so that it affects how we see ourselves and each other and the circumstances that we find ourselves in, growing in relationship with Him, growing in relationship with one another. But Paul goes on and quickly, he prays that we would be strengthened with all power, For the purpose of being able to exercise endurance and patience Uh, Paul's essentially praying for God to give us the strength to do the other things that we're being called to do to bear Good fruit in difficult circumstances to increase in the knowledge and understanding of of God Uh, Because it's you know, what's fascinating and I'm gonna take too much time here, but I'm gonna do it anyway uh, is that when Paul looks at a people who are characterized by faith and hope And Love and he wants them to to be strengthened by God. He's expecting that Strengthening to result in a joyful patience and a joyful endurance Unlike What we seem to be seeing in a lot of Christian circles today Paul says people who are growing in faith and hope and love will not be Or become more anxious with which with the way the world is and where where the world is going But will become less anxious and less distraught a people who are growing in faith and hope and love who are exhibiting these virtues will Won't be becoming more virulent in our beliefs more antagonistic towards people we disagree with more caustic towards those who's who aren't really living the way we think they ought to behave It says, actually, you'll be taking endurance, joyful endurance, into every difficult situation and joyful patience into every difficult person. And not just keeping calm and carrying on, or stiff upper lip and all that, but living a patient endurance in this world in a way that manifests in joy. Not anxiety. Joy, not despair joy, not antagonism. People growing in faith, hope, and love are people that are growing in in joy, he says, when we're strengthened by God to address every situation and every person with endurance and patience, because—this is where we get into the fourth one—because we are a people for whom God has done that for us. God has come to us in patience and endurance. See verse, uh, verse, uh, verse 12 there is where it picks up. Uh, the fourth descriptor of what a life-pleasing to God looks like involves giving thanks to the Father. Now, I said a moment ago, joyful endurance, joyful patience. We don't really know. I mean, the grammar goes both ways, whether joy it goes with endurance and patience or with giving thanks. I'm going to say it goes with both because if it's in one, it's going to bleed into the other. Uh, joyfully giving thanks to God because... And here's the reason, and this is what launches Paul into the next, I don't know how many verses, up to chapter 2, verse 5, before he finally gets into the meat of the letter. He says, here's why you give thanks to God, because he has qualified us. He has qualified you, has made you fit for, he has given you the necessary qualifications to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And he has delivered us from the domain of darkness... That's a that's Exodus language. He has brought us out of Paul is intentionally echoing the Old Testament stories of the people of God being delivered from captivity from the domain of darkness. He says you like the Israelites in Egypt have been delivered from darkness and have been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Transferred is the word for a whole large group of people being forcibly taken from where they live and put in another place. You have been emigrated from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light in the kingdom of his dear son. You have moved. God has moved you. You've not moved yourself. God has moved you from death to life, from darkness to light through redemption in his son, the forgiveness of sins. He says, if you know that, and then going on, if you know Jesus is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation, and he goes on and on and on with this, he says, if you know that, you will respond by giving thanks to God for what he has done for you. We will respond as a church in giving thanks for what God has done for us. We'll be almost desperate to grow in the knowledge of the will of the God who has done that for us. Working out the knowledge of that will in every person, every situation we encounter, serving and praying, God, strengthen us so that we can go and live this everywhere you call us to. It may sound circular, but it's actually like a spiral. We're drilling in. Paul is praying that the Colossians would continually increase in their knowledge of the will of God so that they can grow in their ability to live as god wants them to and so understand more of the knowledge of the will of god one author puts it you know understanding fuels holiness and holiness deepens understanding and a deepened understanding fuels deeper holiness which brings greater understanding and on and on as we spiral deeper into the life of faith hope and love as we recognize and choose to live into God's whole story for what he is doing in the world, not just the individualistic punch card get out of hell free version of it that a lot of us have grown up with, but the calling of God into a newly created humanity that is living the life of this of the kingdom here on this earth in these little bubbles we call churches, going out from here and inviting others into a right relationship of worship with god and life in his kingdom while we wait for god to finally bring the kingdom back to earth i hope that sounds way more exciting to you than you get to go to heaven when you die and until then just do whatever you want god is calling us into such a big story a story that is centered on him that draws us out of our own selfishness out of our own self-centeredness out of our own desperate desire for self-fulfillment and into a bigger story where we're being fitted to live that story by growing in fruitfulness in service growing in our knowledge of god being strengthened to bring patience and endurance everywhere we go and joyfully giving thanks in worship That's the essence of why God calls any church to assemble together. Whether it's a church of 20 people, like may have been the case in Colossae, or a church of 20,000. That's the essence of why a church like Faith comes together, and why when we stop and ask a question from time to time, like, why are we here? We have to measure ourselves. We have to answer that question in light of what God has said we're here to do. Not to make sure the seats are filled or to make sure that the budget is met or to make sure that the lights are on or the building is paid for, but to make sure that we as a whole body are growing together in faith, overcoming barriers through love, becoming sure and confident of the hope that God has for us in the future by growing in the knowledge of God's will as a a body, finding ourselves within that story and living out a life of faithful service, empowered going with the message of the gospel, growing in our knowledge of God and our relationship with one another, all built on the foundation of responding to God's gracious invitation to come and worship through what he's done through his son. Those are the things that at faith we are constantly committed to doing, worshiping, serving, growing, and going, because that's what embeds us in the story that forms us into the kind of people we should become. People living out faith and hope and love, living worthy of the God who called us, God who redeemed us, living in joyful anticipation of his coming kingdom, growing together in faith, hope, and love. So What's your story I mean, What story are you living into or or another way to ask the question is why are you here Because if if you show up at faith or any church because you're looking for an individualistic spiritual high that meets some sort of uh, Need or pushes some sort of button in you that makes you feel like you've pleased God, and had an experience, you probably be disappointed. We're a whole lot more interested in how we all, together, are growing in faith, hope, and love. Corporately living out the story of becoming part of God's new, created humanity, living a kingdom life in the midst of a kingdom of darkness. So I hope that's the story that you're here for That's the story we're trying to be part of That's Why we're here? Father, thank you for calling us together Um, Thank you for drawing us together. We could be spread out at any number of other churches in Indianapolis all doing good work All doing these very same things that Paul has prayed for and yet you have called us uniquely here So I pray for us. I pray that we would Be filled with the knowledge of your will and what you are doing in the world Not just in us individually, but how you want us as a whole To be part of the redemption of the world through jesus Pray that we would grow in this knowledge so that we could walk in a way that is pleasing to you That's that that lives up to the high calling you have for us and may we May we bear fruit in every situation you call us into, in every way that we serve. May you strengthen us for everywhere that you call us to go. May we grow together in our knowledge of you. And may we joyfully give thanks for all that you have done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.